You're listening to a message from Redeemer Bible Church. We hope you'll visit us in person, or you can find more messages like this one at RedeemerBibleChurch.com. The scripture reading this morning is Acts 14, 1 through 18. Now at Iconium, they entered together into the Jewish synagogue and spoke in such a way that a great number of both Jews and Greeks believed. But the unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles and poisoned their minds against the brothers. So they remained for a long time, speaking boldly for the Lord, who bore witness to the word of his grace, granting signs and wonders to be done by their hands. But the people of the city were divided. Some sided with the Jews and some with the apostles. When an attempt was made by both Gentiles and Jews with their rulers to mistreat them and to stone them, they learned of it and fled to Lystra and Derbe, cities of Lyconia and to the surrounding country, and there they continued to preach the gospel. Now at Lystra, there was a man who was, who was man sitting who could not use his feet. He was crippled from birth and had never walked. He listened to Paul speaking, and Paul, looking intently at him and seeing that he had faith to be made well, said in a loud voice, Stand upright on your feet. And he sprang up and began walking. And when the crowd saw what Paul had done, they lifted up their voices saying in Lycaonian, the gods have come down to us in the likeness of men. Barnabas they called Zeus and Paul Hermes because he was the chief speaker. And the priest of Zeus, whose temple was at the entrance to the city, brought oxen and garlands to the gates and wanted to offer sacrifice with the crowds. But when the apostles Barnabas and Paul heard of it, they tore their garments and rushed out into the crowd crying out, men, why are you doing these things? We also are men of like nature with you, and we bring you good news, that you should turn from these vain things to a living God who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and all that is in them. In past generations, he allowed all the nations to walk in their own ways, yet he did not leave himself without witness, for he did good by giving you rains from heaven and fruitful seasons, satisfying your heart with food and gladness. Even with these words, they scarcely restrained the people from offering sacrifice to them. You may be seated. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your kindness to us. We thank you for your grace. We thank you for giving us your revelation. Thank you for the truth of God's word. We thank you for an opportunity to gather together to sing the truth of your word with our brothers and sisters. I pray, Holy Spirit, that through the remainder of this service, as has already happened, I'm sure, I pray that your grace would be showered upon your people. Pray for those who have come this morning, who, have, who find themselves in, in the midst of difficulty, in the midst of suffering, in the midst of confusion. God, we are well aware of the fact that left to ourselves, we have nothing to offer people like this. But through your word and by your spirit, we can offer them 
that which will truly comfort. So we pray, Holy Spirit, that you would work actively in our midst. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. This last Sunday, I got a call from my mom letting me know that my grandmother had entered her final days here on earth. So along with several of my relatives, I was able to travel down to Madison, Wisconsin and spend some time with her uh, this week. On Thursday, my brother Josh flew in from North Carolina, and while he was sitting by my grandmother's bedside, uh, this is what she said to him. As a frail 94-year-old woman who loves Jesus with her whole heart and has walked with him for over 70 years, with her weak and broken voice, she said, I have so much to be thankful for. If I could only constantly remind myself of what a wonderful privilege I have of knowing him and walking with him all these many years. I've got to constantly remind myself that I do mean something to him and he means so much to me. Friends, what causes a dear saint on her deathbed to continue to fight for faith? What causes her to want to remind herself of the gospel as she struggles to breathe? Isn't it simply the kindness and grace of God? It is the grace of God that sustains a believer from the first day until the last. It is good for us to be reminded of the infinite splendor and the innumerable facets of God's grace. We find portraits of God's grace everywhere in Scripture but I think his grace is particularly clear in our text this morning. Acts 13 ended with Paul and Barnabas being driven out of Antioch in Pisidia as a result of a coordinated effort to oppose their gospel ministry. This resistance was primarily by angry, unbelieving Jews who were opposed to God's redeeming work among the Gentiles. But isn't it interesting, friends, that chapter 14 begins not with Paul and Barnabas seething in anger against the Jews because of their persecution, but we find them going directly to the synagogue to preach Jesus. Isn't this wonderful? The opposition and persecution of the Jews does not stop Paul it does not stop Barnabas from trying to, to reach these people with the gospel, but it motivates them, right? It's clear they need Jesus. As we move through the first 18 verses of Acts chapter 14, I want to draw your attention to five words. Five words that will guide our study, and here they are. Conversion. Conflict, cure, confusion, and clarity. My aim is to show you how all these words connect to the grace of God. First, conversion. Look again at verse 1. 
Now at Iconium, they entered together into the Jewish synagogue and spoke in such a way that a great number of both Jews and Greeks believed. I said it earlier, and you see it here. When Paul and Barnabas arrived in Iconium, they, they made a beeline for the synagogue where they would proclaim the good news of the gospel. The content of their message would have been what we have already seen and studied. If you need to be reminded, go back to chapter 13 and read verses 16 through 41. Paul would have explained how God's promises to Israel have been fulfilled in the person of Jesus Christ, the promised Messiah. He would have also stressed the importance of Christ's death and resurrection, making it crystal clear that Jesus alone can bring salvation from sin and eternal peace with God. Now, what's the response of the people? Well, verse 1 tells us a great number of both Jews and Greeks believed. And do you remember the truth we encountered back in chapter 13, verse 48? Where the text says, And when the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord, and as many as were appointed to eternal life believed. Friends, what can we conclude by connecting the truth of Acts 13.48 with Luke's report in Acts 14.1? Well, we can conclude, in fact, we must conclude that God was working in sovereign power, bringing to faith in Iconium all those he had chosen before the foundation of the world. When Paul declared the gospel of the Lord Jesus, those who were appointed to eternal life were cut to the heart with the message of the crucified and risen Christ. And in a moment, the Holy Spirit opened the eyes of the spiritually blind and breathed life into the nostrils of the spiritually dead. And the overpowering grace of God destroyed the binding chains of enslaving sin and a whole bunch of Jews and Greeks were made alive in Christ. Never, ever to be the same again. Oh, brothers and sisters, don't quickly move past that word believed. It signifies a divine miracle of the highest order. There is no greater manifestation of God's power than when he delivers a sinner from the domain of darkness and transfers him into the kingdom of his beloved son. This glimpse of God's sovereignty and salvation should humble you if you are a believer. And it should fill your heart with profound joy. But this glimpse of God's sovereignty and salvation should also produce in all of God's people a boldness and an optimism in sharing the gospel. You see, everyone appointed to eternal life will believe. Everyone appointed to eternal life will embrace the gospel, in fact, think about what we've seen in our text. Paul and Barnabas have faced such intense opposition that they've been driven out of town. And they're, they're about to 
face the threat of stoning. And in the midst of all this opposition, they preach the gospel. They aren't overwhelmed by the discouragement of regular and even violent rejection. They are bold in their witness because the success, listen, the success of their labor is not dependent upon them. God will work in power when the gospel is declared and everyone whom he has appointed to eternal life will be rescued. This is why one of the greatest weapons the devil has in his arsenal as he opposes the spread of the gospel is fear. If our hearts, as those who are called to be witnesses, become gripped with fear, fear of rejection, fear of offending someone, fear of saying the wrong thing. Brothers and sisters, the truth of God's absolute sovereignty and the salvation of sinners should drive out fear and replace it with joy-filled boldness and optimism. There is nothing in the universe... There's nothing in the universe that can stop the eternal and predetermined plan of Almighty God. He will gather to himself all that he has appointed to eternal life. Our job is to go and tell. When I was reading this text and going over it, I thought about my own past experiences with sharing the gospel. So I grew up in an environment that was very man-centered in the way it approached evangelism. We had to say the right things, walk them through the Romans road in exactly the right order. And if we messed it up, or if we were full of fear and didn't say the right things, then their blood would be on our hands. And I remember thinking, then I'm not going to try I'll fail. I'll do something wrong and, and the guilt of that won't be as bad as the guilt I'm facing right now and just not sharing the gospel at all. Friends, we need to recover a high view of God in His sovereignty embracing this truth. It will give us boldness. It will give us optimism. Go. Share the gospel. God's work will be accomplished. Right? Back to verse 1. A great number of both Jews and Greeks believed. Which means a great number of Jews and Greeks experienced the overcoming grace of God because it is the grace of God that brings conversion. It is the grace of God that brings conversion. You heard testimonies this morning. Those who have been converted given new life in Christ, experience God's overcoming grace. Without God's grace, there is no conversion of sinners. Our text moves from conversion to conflict. Look at verse 2. But the unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles and poisoned their minds against the brothers, so they remain, remained for a long time. 
speaking boldly for the Lord who bore witness to the word of his grace, granting signs and wonders to be done by their hands. I love the response of Paul and Barnabas to the conflict that arises. It reveals their love for the people of God and their commitment to the mission of God. Instead of running, they resolved to stay. Right? That's what the people needed. They needed them to stay. So they do it for the good of the Gentiles and for the glory of God. About the response of Paul and Barnabas here, one commentator observed, the greater the opposition, the bolder they become. The greater the opposition, the bolder they become. Now, in offering you that comment, I want to be careful. I want to be careful that I don't leave you with the impression that the response of Paul and Barnabas is the result of their own strength or resolve. What is the explanation for their ongoing boldness in the face of increasing opposition? Well, remember the beginning of this study. Friends, all the way back in chapter 1, verse 8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. The grace of God is given to Paul and Barnabas by the Spirit of God in order to accomplish the work of God. It is the grace of God that enables these two brothers to keep declaring the gospel. And then God's grace is manifested in even greater measure through signs and wonders in order to validate the gospel they are so faithfully preaching. I hope most of you watched Jesus in Athens. You don't have to answer, but I hope most of you did. I got to see it once I returned home from vacation. And there's one thought that kept coming to mind as I watched that documentary. Isn't God kind? Isn't God kind? That he would extend his grace in miraculous ways to those who will have to turn their backs on family and friends who will lose everything. Isn't God so kind to extend his grace in miraculous ways to assure them Come to me, and you will be safe. I will forgive you. I will receive you. I will protect you. I will hold you. The grace of God is given to Paul and Barnabas by the Spirit of God in order to accomplish the work of God. I want you to notice the word in verse 3, that word granting. Who is doing the granting? Whose power is on display? Whose redemptive work is being accomplished? When we read a text like this, we need to learn from Paul and Barnabas, but we need to be amazed by God. It's his hand, his power, his grace behind everything. Now, in spite of the good that God is accomplishing, look at verse 4. But the people of the city were divided. Some sided with the Jews and some with the apostles. 
when an attempt was made by both Gentiles and Jews with their rulers to mistreat them and to stone them, they learned of it and fled to Lystra and Derbe, cities in Lyconia, and to the surrounding country. So more division, more turmoil, more threats. So much so that Paul and Barnabas have to flee. And then what happens? Well, finally, they give up. They throw in the towel. The threat of stoning was the last straw, right? Wrong. When they arrive in a new place, verse 7, they continued to preach the gospel. They continued to preach the gospel. To be absolutely clear, this is a testimony to the sustaining grace of God. Without God's all-sufficient grace, Paul and Barnabas would have no boldness, no protection, no deliverance, no strength to continue on in mission. Brothers and sisters, there is nothing, listen carefully to this, there is nothing God has called us to do that we can do apart from his grace. But, but everything he has called us to do, he will give us the grace to accomplish. I often remind people when I'm talking with them, seeking to encourage them in the midst of difficulty and confusion, that God only offers grace in sufficient doses. It's never too little. It's always sufficient, perfectly measured out by the King of Heaven. We see God's grace sustaining these brothers as they continue to engage in mission. And we need to be assured that he will do the same for us. Conversion, conflict. Now in verse 8, we encounter a cure. Look at the text with me. Now at Lystra, there was a man sitting who could not use his feet. He was crippled from birth and had never walked. As Paul and Barnabas are faithfully preaching the gospel, they encounter a man in great need. Luke paints a vivid picture of this man's need. He could not use his feet. He was crippled from birth. And just to make sure we grasp just how helpless he is, Luke adds, he had never walked. This man was listening to Paul speak. And let there be no doubt what Paul was speaking about. It's what he was always speaking about. The gospel of the Lord Jesus. This man heard the good news of God's offer of forgiveness and justification through faith in Christ. And the text seems to indicate that the Holy Spirit gave Paul the confidence to know that this crippled man was believing what he was hearing. I think we see that in verse 9. He listened to Paul speaking, and Paul, looking intently at him and seeing that he had faith to be made well. 
So Paul, with confidence and boldness in the spirit, commands the man, as David Peterson says, to express his faith by doing what seemed impossible for him. Notice how Luke records this crippled man's response. When Paul says with a loud voice, stand upright on your feet, he sprang up and began walking. And friends, he wasn't just physically walking for the first time, but he was spiritually walking for the first time as well. What a picture of God's power. And, and what an illustration of the gospel. Every sinner apart from God's gracious intervention is like that crippled man, unable to walk and therefore unable to take one step toward Jesus. Before a sinner can run into the arms of Jesus, he must be given new legs. But once God acts in saving power, making crippled legs whole again, the sinner will spring to life and run to Jesus in the newness of life. Friends, it is God's grace that brings healing to the sick, both physically and spiritually. Some of us needed to hear just this part of the text this morning to remember God's power. And to remember our own spiritual condition prior to God's overcoming sovereign grace. Conversion, conflict, cure, and now confusion. Look at verse 11. When the crowd saw what Paul had done, they lifted up their voices saying in Lyconian, the gods have come down to us in the likeness of men. Barnabas they called Zeus and Paul Hermes because he was a chief speaker. And the priest of Zeus, whose temple was at the entrance to the city, brought oxen and garlands to the gates and wanted to offer sacrifice with the crowds. When the people saw the healing of the crippled man, it triggered some major confusion. People are claiming that Paul and Barnabas are Greek gods who have arrived in human form. Now, Paul and Barnabas would not have immediately understood what was happening since the people were speaking in their native tongue. But when the priest of Zeus started bringing animals for sacrifice, they realized something had gone terribly wrong. This event reminded me, and I think it should remind all of us, that the pagan mind, the pagan mind is blind to the existence and power of God and is therefore ready to explain away any act or evidence of the true God. And we see this in so many different ways. I'm reminded of this all the time when it comes to the debate surrounding abortion. How could anybody deny that what is inside the womb of a woman is a baby, a human being, a creation of God, and yet, in some sense, we shouldn't be surprised that the pagan mind is going to twist reality to come up with an explanation to dismiss that. God revealed his power, but these Lyconians rejected his revelation, embracing the bizarre notion that Paul and Barnabas were incarnate 
Greek gods. So how will Paul and Barnabas respond to this confusion? Right, put yourself in their place. This would be a little confusing, wouldn't it? You would be standing there in great need. And God would meet you in your need. Just like he, do, he does for them. It is God's grace that brings the wisdom to navigate confusion and offer gospel clarity. That's where we'll end this morning. Conversion, conflict, cure, confusion, and finally, clarity. Gospel clarity. Look at verse 14. But when the apostles Barnabas and Paul heard of it, they tore their garments and rushed out into the crowd, crying out. As Paul and Barnabas realize the seriousness of what's happening, they respond appropriately by tearing their clothes. This is a sign that blasphemy was about to be committed. These two servants of the Lord are so zealous for the glory of God that they boldly and urgently confront the error of these pagan worshipers. Look at verse 15. Men, why are you doing these things? We also are men of like nature with you, and we bring you good news that you should turn from these vain things to a living God who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and all that is in them. In past generations, he allowed all the nations to walk in their own ways. Immediately, Paul and Barnabas offer an absolute denial of divinity by making it clear that they are mere humans just like everyone in the crowd. They are desperate for these lost people to find their worship or to give their worship to God. So they first divert worship away from themselves, then they di divert worship away from idols, right? Turn from these vain things to a living God. This is good news. The God who created everything deserves your worship. But look at verse 17. Not only does God deserve their worship, but he's been inviting their worship through general revelation. Yet he did not leave himself without witness. Remember verse 16? In past generations, he allowed all nations to walk in their own ways. Yet he did not leave himself without witness, for he did good by giving you rains from heaven and fruitful seasons, satisfying your hearts with food and gladness. Again, friends, this is the kindness of God. He has created a world for all to enjoy. He doesn't just cause rain to fall on fields owned by Christians. And he doesn't withhold good food from those who fail to worship him. No, in his exceeding kindness, even unbelievers are recipients of his good gifts. Uh, but we cannot forget that every good gift from the hand of God is pointing to his greatest gift, the gift of his son. Unfortunately, the people in Lystra are like those described in Romans chapter 1, verses 19 and 20. For what can be known about God is plain to them. Because God has shown it to them. 
For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. There is no one that has ever walked the face of the earth who can claim that God hid himself from them. The unbeliever walks in rebellion, not because God has hidden himself, but because they have attempted to hide from him, choosing to ignore his revelation and reject his kindness. Maybe you find yourself here this morning and and you've never turned in repentance and faith to Jesus Christ. I would want to draw your attention to God's creation. That he is revealing himself to you. Look at the trees. Look at the lush green grass. Look at those little critters that are crawling all over the place. Taste the food that you'll eat this afternoon. Go get some ice cream. Who provided all of that? Who gives those good gifts? Who created this world? Ask the question. And anybody here would be happy to answer the question. To this point, this is the story. Romans 1 is the story of the gathered crowd in Lystra. Look at verse 18. Even with these words they scarcely restrained the people from offering sacrifice to them. In other words, it really didn't make much of a difference. Even though the people reject the gospel ministry of Paul and Barnabas, we are reminded that it is God's grace that gives these two men the skill to preach with clarity in the midst of confusion. Right? That response is amazing. If you think about what's happening there, that response is wonderful. That's God's grace working through God's servants to declare God's gospel with clarity. In fact, it's instructive for us to notice how Paul and Barnabas tailored their presentation of the gospel depending on who they are appealing to. Now, I didn't say that they tailored the gospel. They preached only one gospel, but they did tailor their presentation. This is the first instance of the gospel being presented to complete pagans. Right? They have no Jewish framework. Instead of beginning with the good news of Christ's saving work, they recognize the need to start further back, like creation see that in verse 15. David Peterson explains what's happening here. He says, the message here is not about God fulfilling his promises to Israel and sending the messianic savior, but it's good news about the possibility of escaping the futility of idolatry and coming to know the living God. It's so clear that God was giving Paul and Barnabas the grace they needed to accomplish the mission he had called them to. 
In the face of confusion, they preach the gospel with clarity. Brothers and sisters, God will do the same for you. As you engage your unbelieving friends and your family members in gospel conversations, God will give you the grace you need to navigate difficult and confusing conversations. He will. Your own perceived inabilities and lack of persuasive communicative abilities will not thwart God's redemptive work. Preach the gospel. Share the gospel. Speak the gospel. If he has called you to be his witness, which he has, he will equip you to be his witness. So friends, this text reveals so many facets of God's infinite grace, doesn't it? It is the grace of God that brings conversion. It is the grace of God that enables us to handle conflict. It is the grace of God that delivers a divine cure to the physically and spiritually sick. It is the grace of God that imparts wisdom to navigate confusion. It is the grace of God that gives boldness to preach the gospel with clarity. It is the grace of God that calls sinners to turn from worthless idols to receive freedom and forgiveness through Jesus Christ. There's a lot we can learn from this text. What I want you to see this morning is God's grace. Let's pray together.